0: Um we we pray with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. God, I just love to hear everybody's voices. And God, we we were singing to you because of your amazing grace, your amazing love. God, we we we've seen your love in creation. We see your love Jesus and you you being born of a virgin. We we see your love Jesus in your your perfect life, your your death on the cross for us, your your resurrection, God. We 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 see your grace in every single individual salvation in this room. And God, you have loved us so well, and we praise you for your love. God, I pray that we can be aware of your love, and I pray that we can know love by how you've loved us. And God, I pray that that us recognizing your love, and I pray that you can impress upon us your love in such a way that we begin to love like you love. God, will you transform our hearts? God, you inconvenience yourself for us. Will you, will you, by your grace, cause us and lead us to inconvenience ourselves to love the people in this room? God, I want us to be a loving church. God, I want us to love like you. I want us to be unified, Father. And that can only happen through the Holy Spirit working on our hearts individually. So, God, help us be a loving church. And, Lord, I want to confess, starting with me, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure everyone can join me in this prayer, God, that we have not loved like we should, we should have. God, that we are not loving like you. God, we we have fallen short of your glory when it comes to your love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. We get irritable, and we get unkind, and we get selfish. God, we... we so short, but God, I thank you for your amazing grace, your love for us. God, I want to lift up this team going to hazard next weekend. Um, Lord, I pray for safe travels. I pray for the team to be unified. Um, I pray that you give them strength and endurance and perseverance in what's going to be hard physical labor. God, I pray that you give them patience as they do all these things. God, I pray for such a productive week. Um, ultimately, God, I'm praying for Holy Spirit-empowered and work. God, that you can give them the strength to persevere and to work hard. But God, I, I pray for the physical side, but I also pray for the spiritual side, that there will be opportunities to share the gospel. God, that there will be encouragement to churches up there. God, that there will be that you will give open doors for gospel conversations. And God, they're not the only ones being sent next week. But God, I pray that here, while we're here in our homes and our families, God, that you can open up doors for the gospel, that we could declare the mystery of Christ. God, help us, um, help us see our mission here to make disciples. Uh, God, I pray for our student ministry right now. God, I thank you for. Um, I thank you for five students this morning who were studying the attributes of God. Uh, God, I pray that 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 can bear fruit. God, that your word can can just ground in their heart. God, and it can produce fruit. I pray that you can enable Paul, and we, we, we thank you for Paul. I pray that you can equip him as he invests in these students, and God, I pray that that ministry grows um, in fruit. God, I pray that they, they just fall in love with who you are. God, I pray for Victory Baptist Church this morning. Steve Craft preaching the word. God, I pray that they can reach people with the gospel, that you can be glorified in that congregation, that they can raise up disciples. God, I pray that they can have fruitful ministry there. God, that you can especially bless their service this morning. Um, Our brothers and sisters over there. Um, And God, I pray that you're glorified through what happens in that body. God, now as we come to your word. Jonah four, I pray that you can open our eyes, that we can behold wondrous things out of your word, God. Jonah four, um, we need it. It's a, it's your inspired, sufficient, central, and effective word. We come before it this morning, humble submissive, obedient. God, I pray that you bear fruit. I pray that you use it. God, I pray that you eliminate any part of um, my error or my sin or my foolishness. God, And I pray that your word this morning reigns supreme, and it can affect hearts, and it can change lives. And ultimately, God, I pray you're glorified through what happens here this morning. In your name, Jesus, in your great name, I pray. Amen. And amen. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Jonah 4 for the last time. Um, at least for a couple months, okay? We might come back to it at some point in time, but we're, we're turning to Jonah 4. I'm really excited about it. We're just going to read the whole passage right here, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Father, we come to your word. We ask that you bless it now, that we can receive it in humility and submission, that you can bear fruit in our lives and our hearts. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Great question. Where do the missing socks go? Great question. Why do we cook bacon and bake cookies? It's a great question. Some of y'all will get that later. What's the, what's the color of a mirror? A lot of times, great questions can't be answered. And what we have here is Jonah asks, I mean, God asked Jonah this great question to kind of end this whole book, end the whole narrative. Now, it's been a while since we've talked about Jonah, so I want to do a recap. We've had a great rebellion. The word comes to Jonah. What does Jonah do? He understands the word, but he turns the other way, completely rejecting God's word and fleeing his presence, which leads to a great storm. The great storm on the ship, Jonah says, just throw me over because I would rather die than repent. And so Jonah gets thrown into the sea by the pagan sailors. Then we see a great salvation. Jonah goes down, 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 down into the sea. Um, You know, his sins brought him to the bottom of the sea, but then a great fish swallows up Jonah. There's this great salvation. Jonah prays this great prayer in Jonah 2 and says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the fish um, vomits, or that word's in the Bible, vomits Jonah out. Jonah restarts. We have, then we see a great repentance. That's what we saw, you know, like three weeks ago was a great repentance where Jonah goes and preaches to the evil city Nineveh and a revival happens. I mean, everybody, the king all the way down, hears God's word, responds to God's word, humbles themselves at God's word, and ultimately repents. Now, that would be an amazing end to this book, would it not? I mean, Jonah didn't listen, Jonah listened, and then God did something great. The lesson of the book would be obey God and great things happen. But that is not how the book ends. And so I sort of think it's appropriate that we had this kind of awkward two-week gap between Jonah 3 and Jonah 4 because it, really it really gets the gist of what's happening here. It seems like the story's wrapped up. They've repented. Jonah did what God wanted. But the story's not done yet because the, the story of Jonah, the point of Jonah is not obey God and great things happen. Something else is going on here. If we explore the text, we'll see. By looking at God's great question, So I have two points this morning. Great question in verses 1 through 4. I mean, great frustration in verses 1 through 4. And then great question in verses 5 through 11. So first we see great frustration. Look at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's what's happening, Jonah. He's like, I did not want to go because I knew you would do this. So, for the people that are coming to BGU, studying the doctrine of God on Wednesday nights, I would love for you to come. This would be a great Wednesday to come to if you want to jump in. But this shows us why knowledge is not an end in itself. It's got to lead to love for God. Jonah had knowledge of God's attributes, but lacked love for God's attributes. Do you see that? He knew them well. He could list them off. He could quote Exodus 34 6, but ultimately, it wasn't out of worship that Jonah was saying this, but he was saying, God, I knew you were like this. I knew you would do this. May it never be of us. Now, why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Because he knew that if he went and preached that message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, he knew that if they responded in repentance, God would forgive them. So Jonah loved He loved, loved, loved when God was gracious and merciful and loving and patient and forgiving. To Jonah, he loved it. But he didn't love when God was going to be kind to those people. You see that in Jonah too. when he gets saved? I mean, he loves God's grace. He loves God's mercy. They didn't want God to be gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. So the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, who are those people in your life who you don't want God to be gracious to? You don't want God to be merciful to? You don't want God to be slow to anger with them. You don't want God to show a steadfast love to them. You don't want God to relent from disaster to them. This could be an ethnicity or a nationality like Jonah. It could be a personal rival or enemy. It could be a coworker. worker um, It could be another church. It could be another denomination. I don't know what it could be. But you could, and maybe you are this morning, like Jonah, and hate the idea of God blessing those people. This happens a lot when you're on social media, by the way. You see the blessing, and envy, bitterness comes into your heart. So what does Jonah ask for? Look at verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the second time Jonah's done this in the book of Jonah, asking for death. There's also another one to come, but can you believe it that Jonah is so mad that God didn't pour out his wrath upon Nineveh that he would rather just die? Just go ahead and kill me. Look how God responds in verse 4. He responds with a question, and the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? It's a great question. And it kind of just lingers, it kind of just sits there. Leads us to our second point: the great question, verses 5 through 11. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah preaches his message. He leaves the city. He goes out and builds a booth, which just think like a tent more or less, and sits, he gets a good view, and sits and waits for what's going to happen to Nineveh. I just picture Jonah with his popcorn and his milk duds, His large Coke, he's just, you know, if it was me, I would have my soda water there um, from, you know. But anyway, um, so he's sitting there and he's just waiting for the show to start. And you know what Jonah's thinking? He's thinking Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to see fire, rain from the sky. I just want to wait and see and hope against hope that maybe God will do the quote-unquote right thing and destroy this wicked city of Nineveh. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Let's keep reading verse 7 through 8. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And again, he asked that he might die. And said, It is better for me to die than to live. So we talk about the, the fish all the time, right? But we, we, when we think about Jonah, we don't think about a plant. We don't think agriculture. We're just thinking about stuff in water. But here, let's look at what happens here. In, in these three verses, we see the providence of God, the character of God, and the wisdom of God. First of all, we see the providence of God that He is in full control. Of things like plants in verse 6, worms like verse 7, wind like verse 8. So God makes the plant grow, he makes the wind blow, he makes the sun shine. Um, We've also seen this, you know, throughout the book of Jonah, him appointing a storm, all these things like God is in complete control over small tiny details. We see God's providence, his sovereignty over life. We see kind of that nature is supernatural. It does, these aren't just natural laws that are making the plant grow and making the wind blow, but we see that God is behind that. We see the providence of God. Not only that, but we also see the character of God. As we've mentioned, God is gracious and merciful, patient and loving and forgiving. We, Jonah's claimed that. Jonah's asserted that. But also we see through this plant situation that God is gracious and merciful and patient and loving and forgiving to Jonah. Even now, in this story, look what it says in verse 6. That it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Even though Jonah is such a mess, so radically frustrating, he just doesn't ever get it. He's asking to die. I mean, it's just so melodramatic. But even now, God is growing a plant to save Jonah from his discomfort. We see here the character of God, that he's he's gracious, that he's merciful, but also we see that God got his task of saving Nineveh done. It was finished, but God still wasn't done with Jonah. You see that? Like, he doesn't just want Jonah's service. He didn't need Jonah to get that message out. But he used Jonah and he cared about Jonah. He wants Jonah's heart. So don't think that just because you share the gospel with your neighbors and give and serve in the nursery that God is going to not pry into your heart. But what we see here in the character of God, is that he refuses to be done with Jonah. You can't just do the task and keep God at arm's length. If that was the case, the book of Jonah would be done at chapter 3. But God had more work to do with Jonah. He cares about Jonah, not just the task, and he cares about you, not just what you can provide for him or serve for him or something like that. Finally, so we see the providence of God, the character of God, but we also see the wisdom of God, that God is using this situation to teach Jonah a lesson. And to teach us a lesson as well. Now what happens is he he causes this plant to grow and to save Jonah from his discomfort. And truly, I believe this leads to one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. Jonah and this plant. Jonah loves this plant. Look at verse um, six. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He loved it. Exceedingly glad notice again that God, I mean that Jonah is exceedingly glad when God works for his own comfort. Oh, the plant. He's pleased. He's joyful. But is exceedingly displeased when God works for the salvation and comfort of his enemies. Verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Why? Because he didn't destroy an entire city. But if you grow Jonah a plant, oh, it, 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 he's exceedingly glad in verse 6. This is classic grace for me, but not for thee. right, Jonah loves it when God is God to Jonah, but hates it when God is God to his enemies. So the next day, just as God appointed the plant, he can also appoint a worm. As we see in verse 7, this is the Lord gives The Lord takes away, he gives the plant, but then when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. I could see Jonah waking up in absolute shock that his precious plant had passed away in the night. But it wasn't just the plant that died. Look at verse eight. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die. We can feel for Jonah here, right? I mean, you're sitting in the desert, your best friend, the plant just died, and you're absolutely getting torched by the sun. I mean, it was a hot day. The sun's beating down on him. He has no shade. Obviously, his booth he built was, was good for nothing, All right? We see that? Now, Jonah takes it a little too far in verse 8, ask for death again. It is better for me to die than to live. Jonah loved that plant so much and really loved his comfort so much that the plant dying had absolutely destroyed his will to live. Kind of fragile, if you think about it. Plant dying, okay, just kill me, God. Now, I will say, Jonah has been through a lot. I mean, if you start at the beginning of Jonah 1 and look through everything, I mean, that's, it's been a hectic hectic weekend. I don't know, you know, three days in the, in the fish. But it's been, it's been a hectic time. But... It's not really cute, it's not really funny, but he is filled with bitterness and anger towards God. In this moment, the plant gets killed by the worm and he is enraged with the gracious and mighty and merciful God and he says, why don't you just kill me? It's better for me to die than to live. And then in verse nine, God asks the question again. The same one, more or less, he asked in verse four where he says, do you do well To be angry for the plant. God's saying. God's asking. Do you have the right. To be angry with me about this plant. Do you have the right. And Jonah. Right to God's face if you will. Responds with an emphatic yes. He says yes. I do well to be angry. Angry. Enough to die. Honestly, this reminds me of my two-month-old Madeline uh, when she's hungry. I mean, if she has to wait five minutes for a bottle, it's like I've become the biggest villain in the history of the world. I mean, absolutely enraged. And ultimately she's foolish in that, right, because the milk's coming. And I hope you see the foolishness of Jonah. Jonah, angry enough to die, absolutely furious, flaming hot mad at the God full of grace, mercy, love, patience, and forgiveness. And he's mad. He's so angry because God isn't doing exactly what he wants God to do, that God is working for the comfort of others and not for his own comfort because God ultimately had destroyed something that Jonah loved. And right then, right there, God has Jonah exactly where he wants him. Jonah says, yes, I deserve to be mad because I loved that plant. I was exceedingly glad over that plant. And here comes God's point, verses 10 through 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God points out that Jonah loves the plant, cares for the plant, has compassion on the plant, wants to save the plant so bad, and he did nothing to make that plant exist. He did nothing to produce it. He says in verse 10, "You, you, you did not labor, you did not make it grow, Not only that, but the plant just lived for one day. You see that says, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So it's like you did nothing to this plant. It was here for one day. And not to mention, it's a plant. Like, let's not forget that. Like, Jonah, you're wanting to die because a plant died. He's so upset, so heartbroken, so filled with compassion over a plant. So God says... And should I not pity Nineveh? God says, if that's how you feel about a plant, can I not feel that way about people? Filled, can I not care about a city filled with people made in my image, filled with animals that I created, filled with people who are ignorant and were about to be utterly destroyed by, by my wrath? You cared about a plant, can I not care about people? God's point is, Jonah, you've completely missed it. God's saying, I have the right to love these people. I have the right to show compassion on these people, to save these people. You feel these things about a plant that you didn't produce. I can feel this about a people that I created. So the question here that, you know, it kind of ends, he's like, should I not pity Nineveh? That's kind of how it lands there. So he's saying, won't you pity them too? Won't you love these people with me? Won't you care about them? And the question isn't ever answered. You notice that? Like the the story of Jonah ends with a question mark. It just lingers there in the air. It turns out that this question isn't just for Jonah, but it's for you as well. This question is for you. Sinclair Ferguson said, Jonah is shaped to force us to contemplate our personal destiny. It carries no conclusion Because it summons us to write the final paragraph. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion about its message. For you are Jonah. I am Jonah. So the question is, God asked in verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh? So the question for us is, how are we going to answer that question? More specifically, how are you? going to answer that question. Jonah is a terrible example. Is he not? I said at my very sermon here in this series that you could sum up the message of the book of Jonah by saying, don't be Jonah. Don't be like this. I mean, think about what a terrible example. Remember, when you're reading through Scripture, one way you can apply Scripture to your life is look for examples not to follow. You can apply scripture in that way. Jonah is not an example to follow. I mean, think about it. He rejects God's word. He flees God's presence. He throws a fit about one of the greatest revivals in history. He's furious about a plant dying. He begs for God to kill him in a melodramatic way. I mean, you can't read this story. You can't read this book without thinking, I don't want to be like that. So here's your application this morning. Don't be Jonah. Don't be like this. Hear God's word and respond in submission and obedience. Seek to see the world the way God views the world. Seek to have a biblical worldview. Seek to value people the way God values people. Listen, the book of Jonah teaches us that God cares about people you don't care about. Have you considered that? There's people you don't care about that God does. That God loves people that you don't love. That God is mindful for people that you aren't mindful of. That God saves people that you wouldn't save. Which, by the way, is a lot of people in this room, including yourself. If you were God, you wouldn't save yourself. But God saves people you wouldn't save. Our situation is not wholly unlike Jonah's, is it? Jonah had a clear, difficult, and offensive word. Chapter 1 Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it. We have Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20 that says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our responsibility as a church and as individual Christians, your responsibility is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. You are called to that work. You do that through so many ways. Church membership, faithful giving, plugging into a small group, evangelizing your neighbors, serving in kids' ministry, going to Hazard to share the gospel, inviting people to church, serving at Beach Grove basketball, meeting with younger believers once a week to disciple them. But let's repent of the fact that just like Jonah, just like Jonah, we can value our own comfort. Jonah valued his own comfort with that plant. Over his enemy's eternity, over his enemy's life. And you and me, we can value our own comfort over our neighbor's eternity. Can we not? We'd rather watch football, we'd rather take a nap, we'd rather um, stay in our own little box. We can value our own comfort over our own church members' eternity. We can value our own comfort over the next generation's eternities. Right? We don't want to give up a Wednesday because we'd rather sit under our little plant. We can be so self-centered and not care about our coworkers and our families being destroyed and going to hell. We could be just like Jonah. And if we look deep enough, we may see like Jonah, we might want some of them to go to hell. We might want Sodom and Gomorrah to fall upon our enemies. We might not want God's grace to come to somebody who's opposite of us, who's far from us, who's distant from us. So let's repent. And pursue the great commission together. Now. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Working through God's holy word. I pray that you're feeling some conviction. Of your sins. That you look at this story. You see somebody flying off the handle at God. For not doing exactly what he wanted. You're seeing somebody more concerned about his comfort. Than other people's lives. You're seeing somebody who disobeys God's word so easily. um, And hopefully. You've might be convicted over not being, I mean, you might be convicted over being a Jonah this morning. That's you. And it's me, by the way. I have really good news. That something greater than Jonah is here. Remember when Jesus said that? Something greater than Jonah is here? I'm here this morning to tell you that Jesus is so much better than Jonah. And that is really good news that Jesus loves his enemies, that Jesus sees your heart, and he knows you better than you know yourself. But instead of wishing and hoping for your destruction, instead of valuing his comfort over your salvation, Jesus said in a much better way than Jonah, it is better for me to die than to live. That's good news. Because listen, you were created by a holy God. And you have sinned against his word just like Jonah. You have heard God's word. You've turned from God's word. You've sinned against a holy God in thought, word, and deed. And the punishment for that is much worse than what Nineveh was going to get. It's an eternity in hell. That's what you deserve. But Jesus was not a reluctant prophet. But he went to his Nineveh. He went to this earth. He didn't rebel against God's word, but he obeyed it perfectly. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He obeyed every single command of God all of his life in perfect obedience, thought, word, and deed. But then he went to the cross and he died in your place for your sin. The conviction you're feeling right now for your sin, Jesus... Died for that sin. Jesus bore the wrath of God in your place, and He died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later He came back to life, and He is still living today. So, if you would repent of your sins, if you would, if in your hands right now, if you take your bitterness towards God, your anger, your your um, self love, you, you being a love of yourself, your pride, whatever it may be, your your love of your own comfort, and if you repent of that and let that go and vomit it up, just like Jonah was vomited out of that fish, and you turn to God in faith and place your trust in that Savior, Jesus Christ, in the person, Jesus Christ, who is living today, God will forgive you of your sins. You will be given eternal life. You'll be brought into the family of God. Now, if you're a Christian in this room, that's your hope as well. That is, what I just said isn't just for believers in the room, but we all look a lot like Jonah, Right? I'm thinking of somebody I need to talk to right now that I, I kind of stay away from because I'd rather just value my own comfort. You probably have people like that too. You probably avoid awkward conversations with your family because you don't want to bring up the gospel. Right? We value our own comfort over people's eternities. How about we repent and look to Jesus? He'll equip us. He'll forgive us. He'll empower us. He'll give us boldness. We have an all-sufficient Savior who can deal with where you're at right now. So listen, I encourage you. Um, not be like Jonah but look to Jesus in faith for forgiveness and grace. Let's pray. Father, a difficult word. God, I pray that question lingers with us. Should I not pity Nineveh? God, you, you love people that we don't love. You, you love our enemies. God, you, you want to do gospel work. Um, with people we wouldn't do gospel work with. God, will you, will you, instead, of, instead of us being like Jonah and wanting to align you with our values, God, I pray that we so, so willingly and humbly and submissively come before you and say, God, align our hearts to your heart. God, align our minds to your word, to your scripture. God, we don't want to be like Jonah. We want to be like Jesus and love our enemies. God, we don't want to be bitter towards you or angry towards you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take this passage. I pray that you apply it to everybody's heart in here. I don't know where they're at, but you do better than they do. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you use this word, um, that you prick our consciences, and ultimately, God, I pray that you draw us to Christ. That's our hope. Jesus, thank you for your love. Um, I do pray for anybody here um, who doesn't know you who's never repented of their sins and placed their faith in you, Jesus. I pray that you can draw them to yourself. I pray that you can reveal to them their sin and reveal to them the grace that's found in you, Jesus. God, thank you for your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen.